Welcome everybody to the gardening show on Radio Caram. I'm Brendan. And I'm Henry. Join us every fortnight as we chat about everything green and delicious in the world of gardening and local food production. And we are a couple of dads uh, with a real love for digging in the dirt, sustainable living, growing our own food and just giving it a go. And we are also two of the hands behind the scenes at the Downs Community Farm, which is a little non-for-profit community garden and gathering space right next to the Seaford wetlands. So in short, this show is all about spreading the word on the joys of home gardening in our local area. Um, Expect some general gardening banter, some hot tips for a bumper crop, horticultural deep dives and a few tunes to get those green thumbs tapping. Love it. Um, Henry, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed this intro. I'm not sure if I mentioned it last time, but you rewrote the intro. I really like it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as always, we'll we'll start with an acknowledgement of country. So uh, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're broadcasting today, the Bunurong and Boomerang people of the Kulin Nations, and want to pay our respects to their elders, past and present. And we want to acknowledge, of course, that the land was never ceded. Cool. Thank you so much for doing that one, Henry. Um, how you been? Hot. Tell me about it. Hot is how I've What been. a day in Melbourne. I, I feel like we always make the joke the four seasons in one day. Uh, this was, I think, almost like the two tropical seasons in one day. Mm, <laughs> extreme just, and severe. Yeah. Just a, little, just a little bit of, you know, tropical thunderstorm, mm. extreme monsoonal style rain. Uh, for about, what was it, 15 minutes? 15 minutes, yep. <laughs> Half the trees on the peninsula came down. Uh, pretty wild. Yeah, wild stuff. So probably a little caveat here. And first thing mm. to say is we hope everybody's travelled safe. Oh, goodness, um, yes. We, we hope that you are all safe. We know that there's been a lot of damage around Melbourne as a result of the winds and the storm coming through. And, um, you know, we, we saw trees coming down all over the place, uh, even just on the way home. So... I hope everybody is well and be safe. There's a lot of power out still. And yeah, and thank and, and on that note of power, thank you, those of you that are listening, for using those last shreds of your phone battery or your <laughs> laptop battery to listen to us, assuming that you can access the internet, of course. Um, but yes, as always, the show will be available um, in the next week mm. on Spotify or um, SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts from. So what are we going to be chatting about this week? Well, we'll talk, I guess, yeah, what's been happening in, in our garden. And uh, I don't know, have you had a chance to look at your garden today when you got home? I did. Well, okay. yes, yeah, okay. very quickly. So we'll do a quick chat about that. Mm. Um, we're going to do a spotlight. I'm very excited for this. Um, lychees, rambutans and longans. Mm. So I'm, again, another category of plant I have literally no experience with. Uh, I like I like lychees. Mm. Yep, yep, <laughs> me too. I haven't actually eaten the other two, so really excited to, to learn a bit more about that. And then we'll also talk um, about preserving foods. Beautiful. Different ways to preserve foods, um, especially when we have a big glut, which is often the case at this time of year. Um, AKA though, help, I've grown too much food. What do I do with it? Oh no, the worst problem to have. So, <laughs> um, yeah, what are some ideas, I guess, that um, listeners can take away? Probably heard a lot of them before, but there might be a few there that, yeah you haven't thought about and uh, might consider. So we'll talk a bit about that. Brilliant. Um, As thanks. usual, I was, we were going to say, don't forget to send us through any gardening questions on the mobile number 0493-213-831 or email us at the gardeningshowradio at gmail.com. 
Um, very quickly, we wanted to quickly mention a, an event that we had on the weekend at the Downs, which mm. was a vision board event. And uh, that was at the farm. There was a lunch afterwards and just wanted to do a quick shout out to Kathleen and Catherine for running the event um, and a great turnout. And so thank you to everybody who have attended. And mm. also thank you to those who were just out in the garden uh, and doing their own thing as well. That was brilliant. I wasn't there uh, on that day, but I did hear good things. I heard it was a really lovely day all around. Mm. And um, those that did participate in the vision board um, workshop, um, yeah, had nothing but good things to say about it. So awesome. Very More nice. of that throughout the year at Downs. That's the plan. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Should we kick it off with a song? Let's do that. And I'll wipe the sweat off my brow. <laughs> uh, so we'll just kick it off with a song by Bacar. And this is Hell and Back, which is sort of what it felt like today. <laughs> Hey folks, join us at the Radio Carom Trivia Night on Friday the 1st of March at the Carom Patterson Lake Sports Pavilion. Tickets are only $25 per person and includes entry into our door prize and a drink on arrival. Wonderful. Don't pass up this opportunity to win bragging rights for the rest of the year and win some fabulous prizes. Tickets are still available at Radio Carom's website, radiocarom.org. We'll see you there, folks. And we're back. Welcome. Is that the Austin Powers theme song? I, I think so, but I, I have a suspicion that it's not actually from Austin Powers or maybe <laughs> it was a lifted music <laughs> yeah, from <course>. from Pry. <laughs> uh, there you go, trivia night. So get to the... Uh, Radio Karen website, which is uh, radiocarum.org, and uh, have a look if you're interested. Yeah, that was a great plug. And as always, this is uh, The Gardening Show on mm-hmm. Radio Karen with Henry and Brendan. Excellent. And that song was Hell and Back uh, by Bacar, which is certainly what I think you and I both experienced today in the car. We, <laughs> we were just having a bit of a chat uh, off air a moment ago um, saying that we're both pretty much nonstop all day mm. um, and was, I think it was a challenge for everybody on the roads today. So well done, everybody, if you've gotten home and you're safe and sound. Mm. Um, but back into the garden, what's been happening in your patch? Well, uh, happily, um, nothing got destroyed. That's good. <laughs> today. If anything, it was it was because my garden is quite. I guess you've seen it, it's quite. I guess you could say protected mm. in my backyard um, from extreme weather, particularly wind. So, if anything, it actually was okay for my garden because I hadn't had a chance to water it in a few days because I had my my legacy watering system that was there when I moved in, which is uh, a pipe coming out of the house, mains water with a shutoff valve and then that goes into a T-junction and meets up with uh, the rainwater tank water mm-hmm. and then those go into the, the pump that turns on. So I've never actually had the mains water turned on. I've always had plenty of rainwater to use. Um, so, you know, was yeah, certainly a few days ago I was watering the garden and then the water just cut out. Mm. It's like, oh, maybe I've kicked the, kinked the hose, right? So I go around and I just, I hear like, like just the guys are going on under the deck where the pump is. I was like, no. oh no, oh no! Um, and a, a pipe had 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 burst. Yeah. So thankfully, it was on the 
not uh, not on the mains water side. Yep. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't exactly like an emergency fix or having to shut off the mains water. Um, but yeah, it meant that I was like, okay, I'll do the old watering can with the tap inside just to water some seedlings that I've got um, until I've got a chance to plant them. And everybody else, you've just got to make do yep. <laughs> until I get a chance to go and buy some pipe. And that is the way sometimes. And, fix it. and it's good because I've been wanting to rebuild that system, mm. um, make it a little bit more user-friendly, a little bit more accessible instead of having to crawl under, you know, spider-infested um, underfloor of the deck. Mm. So blessing in disguise, but the plants were starting to get a little bit stressed. A little bit stressed. A little bit stressed looking and then it poured down and then I came, you know, I got home and um, they were all, you know, bright, open, back, back you know, not wilting. Um, so I was like, oh, that's good. That'll buy me a few days. <laughs> and and there have been three very hot day days recently mm. um, in a row back to back. Uh, whilst we're quite fortunate in Melbourne that at the evening times or in the evening times it does get cool. Yeah. Uh, and in far north tropical Queensland, sometimes in the evenings it's just as hot and just humid as it that is. Way. Yeah. And it doesn't – you don't get that reprieve at all. Um, you've really got to hide for the AC but – you know, fortunately, we here we do get that reprieve during the evening. Um, mm. Really shows an effect on the garden when there's three days of non of no rain or an, or extraordinarily hot weather. Yeah, um, I saw lots of people around the place having taken their own initiative to try and have heat saving or plant saving. Uh, contraptions, you could say. Yeah. So I've seen people stringing up shade cloth in trees. Uh, my my father-in-law has got a cycad, a brilliant old uh, cycad oh, wow. that's just this ancient looking one. And um, in this sort of a weather, it's got a, a big tarp over it now to protect <laughs> it. Um, but I, I think a lot of people have been taking that uh, on board and have been protecting their garden somewhat mm. over, the last, uh, over the last week or so. Yeah, and I think it also really shows... The power of mulch, mm. both just you know the, the standard mulches that people think about. So it might be wood chip for your fruit trees, or I don't know, lucerne, or or something for your or pea straw for your for your veggies. But even just living mulch, so mm. you know having a cover crop of some kind, or something like a pumpkin that spreads out and shades the soil, mm. um, or an nasturtium, uh, really helps. And yeah, like I said, I've not really watered my garden in probably four days i would say um, up until this little rainstorm we had mm. and nothing has died that's good and that's great. that includes like little lettuce seedlings in the ground yeah you know because yep. there's a store of water there so yeah if you haven't done it already might be a bit late now but uh no it's never too late get some mulch on your garden please. get some mulch uh, in fact, I was even talking to Sam the other day from, mm. from the farm and he was mm. just mentioning uh, a shorter planter box but it was a little wicking bed specifically for seedlings oh, uh, yeah. and that was uh, basically giving it only a couple of waters and then allowing it to seep upwards or to wick upwards uh, oh. which was a, a really good suggestion actually. I thought, oh, I don't know why I haven't got a wicking bed for some seedling runs. Yeah. Mm. Reminds me of one of my, uh, my ex-gardening teachers uh you know i guess you could call one of my mentors um said that you know that they they start their beds with um like a really good lasagna bed mm -hmm. so lots of different layers of you know compost and manure and soil and and what have you uh and every one of those layers is properly moistened 
um, you know, fully moist, not dripping, but saturated mm. um, when it's built. And tomato, the tomato seedlings go in, they get watered once, like to establish, and then they get watered again two weeks later. And that's it. Mm. Imagine a tomato that's only been watered twice in its life. And tomatoes after are, it goes into the ground. Tomatoes are heavy <laughs> feeders. They they do they do love the water. Yeah. But it shows the value of you know thinking about what they're in, whether mm. it's a wicking bed or a lasagna bed, or you know mm. how are you holding moisture in the soil. Yep. Um, and you know, and he has said, "quote You know, they're not the best looking tomato plants, but they're the best tomatoes." Ah. <laughs> so yeah, something to it. I must say that's definitely one thing that has been working very well in the garden at the moment has been the tomato runs and um, just going out and picking a handful at a time, a handful each day uh, after they start to show colour. In fact, I've left a whole bunch on there uh, Mm. that that are now just red on the plant and some of the birds are coming down and picking them as well. But there's lots of tomatoes out, which is really good. Um, Yeah. I'm really pleased with one particular one, which was an indigo rose tomato. And this particular one, as it's ripening, is totally green. And then it colours over the top with like a purpley black um, Mm. shading. And then as it ripens, it it then colours up to a, a red tomato but still holding that purple cover over the top. And then you pluck off the little um, stem and you get left with a tiny little red rose or a little red flower of its own as an outline. (laughs) Very, very cool. I do remember you showing me a photo of that. I was like, that's really cool. I can't believe I've never seen that before Mm -hmm. in a tomato. I've had a shocking season of tomatoes. No good. Um, The cherries are fine. The cherry golds are pretty good. I've gotten, yeah, maybe... Over fifty at this point, um, and I didn't put too many in. I think I put three three plants in, and it's they're still prolifically producing. Um, my bigger sort of beefsteaky type tomatoes, possums, birds, rats don't know mm. have just decimated them. Somebody's um, been enjoying them. I've got two, Aww. two big ones, and they're big. They're chonkers. You know, they they must weigh two hundred grams each. Mm. Like nice big tomatoes. Um, one has like a little nibble on it, I think from when a, a bird pecked it once. And I've said, you know what? I'll cut away. I'll cut that off. I don't mind. The other one seems okay. Um, but yeah, they just they just struggled. I don't know what it was. I think next year I will definitely net that whole tomato area mm-hmm. and just quarantine it from any um, any anything that's not um, a pollinator. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and then my, my third tomato variety is the banana legs. Yep. So um, that's the one that I just said, you know what? I'll chuck it in the ground and I'm going to completely ignore this plant. I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to water it. It's just going to do its thing. And uh, surprise, it did the best. It did the best. I must have pulled two kilos of tomatoes off of this thing. Uh, you know, little cherries and they're quite delicious, especially when they're cooked. Um, had quite a bit of tomato tomato worm on mm-hmm. a lot of them, um, but that sort of passed through and then... Still got a few. Still got a few ripening. Hmm. So, so you meaning to tell me that things don't always go to plan all the time as expected every season? It, yeah, even even with our our expertise. Would you believe? Uh, you know, the best gardeners in the world, and I'm not claiming that you and I are the best gardeners in the world, but uh, you know, plants are plants. Hmm. You know, they they get diseases. They just sometimes they're just not happy where you put them. Hmm. Um, Sometimes you just get bad stock from the shop yep. and you know, genetically bad and um, no matter what you do, they are just not going to produce for you. 
which mm-hmm. is why I think if you find a really good variety that's performed really well, save seeds. Save seeds. Save seeds, 100%. Um, you know, obviously it works for a reason. Mm. Keep keep using it. Uh, one of the good things that you just mentioned here, and we, we take on that not everything is perfect, but you've got some variety in there and you've got the resilience of multiple different bre- uh, breeds and fruits mm. and all of those sorts of things, which really helps because it means some things might be a disappointment, some things might work brilliantly. Yeah. Uh, and it's good. It's good to take our learnings um, and especially not exert too much energy if we don't have to. Um, mm. It's all good. Gardening's pretty cheap. Yes. It's not, it's not too expensive to make a mistake here and there. No, that's it's all, right. It's all learning. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what about your garden? So for me, I mentioned it a few times, which is the plums, the Angelique and the President. Ooh, so the Angelique nice. was on the left hand, oh, it was on one side and the other graft was a, a President plum. And the President plums are found to be a much larger plum, yep. still purpling and um, my they're finally coming in. So what my recommendation is with these particular ones is just to give it a bit of time and wait for them to yellow onto the inside for these yep. plums. Um, when they're green on the inside, it can still be a little bit tart, a little bit sour That's sometimes. When I like them. Sometimes super, super tasty. Mm. And I, yeah, as a kid, always unripe fruit or just underripe yep. fruit was, was my preference um so for these ones the kids have been getting into them they've been enjoying them and yeah i've been excited to to harvest some of these president plums nice um what else we netted up the fig tree to protect them from the birds that's got some nice figs on them probably my this is what i love about gardening and this has just made me super excited this week um i've grown something for the first time that i've never grown before and it's called an African horned cucumber. <laughs> you sent me a photo of this. And <laughs> I was like, I thought it was, at first my initial thought was, this is an AI generated image. Yep. <laughs> You've typed in, like, can you combine a thorny devil <laughs> yep. with a cucumber? Almost. Wild. This yeah. is such, and, and it's so weird and exotic and it's just, it really, it really got me excited again because I wasn't expecting, I had planted these cucumbers a while ago. I actually hadn't seen any cucumbers growing on them. There have been mm. some flowers on there. There was some tiny, tiny, tiny little cucumbers starting up. But then as you do with, sometimes with cucumbers and zucchinis is I lifted up one of the um, kind of vines and had a look underneath and then there was this, oh, I don't know how to describe it, this cucumber <laughs> that was a good 200 grams or thereabouts, a similar yeah. size, it was a fairly large size, um, not a long Lebanese style or green cucumber, but very much a shorter, almost like a crystal apple size yep. um, cucumber, not quite as around, and it looks so bizarre. It looks like it's got watermelon colouring and it's that bright green and light green. The thorns on this thing are extraordinary and it's very, very strong. So the thick, the skin is super thick. It's really thorny. You can stand it on its end and the thorns like will support a, like itself. A, like little legs. Yeah, like little legs. <laughs> um, oh, that's great. And I wanted to just kind of bring this this little plant into a bit of... of um, have a spotlight for a few minutes. Yes, definitely. So I did a bit of research and I found out that it's a cucumis uh, metalliferous uh, and it's also called the jelly melon and it's also got the name of a kiwano fruit. Um, and so it's known locally in Zimbabwe as, and I'm going to hopefully get this right, but gaka. Yeah. Um, it's a super exotic looking fruit 
And when you when these ones yellow off, so when they get really ripe, is that they turn from this green color into a super vibrant yellow, mm. almost like a burnt yellow, uh, orangey sort of color. Um, and uh, essentially, once you these can be prepared just like cucumbers, but specifically, what I found was that the taste is very different. Um, yeah, the taste okay. was not as heavy cucumbery. Uh, it had much more fruitiness to it and it had a little oh. bit of sour to it as well. So almost like a dash of lemon on top of a fruity cucumber flavor. This sounds awesome. It was great. I definitely want to eat this. It's great. Be <laughs> really mindful of the spines. It's super <laughs> dangerous in that respect. But you can cut them off and then it looks like a normal cucumber. Um, I peeled it a little bit just so that I could get into that white flesh, break through the skin and, and ate it from there. However, I have seen some other uses um, and it can be prepared in a few different ways. So uh, it can be dried like you would a peach or an apple and wow. cut into slices and it kind of gets that sticky, chewy sort of a, f- um, of a feel to it. So it's just got to like probably has a much higher sugar content than a normal cucumber would. Perhaps. It sounds like, yeah. And it's in fact, it's got a high uh, protein content for, for fruit, which is mm. quite interesting. Um, so dried like we would as a peach or an apple, it is a climber slash creeper um, and it's going to be great for co-planting with something like maize uh, or corn so that it can run up and, and grab a hold of it yep. and like we talked about uh, previously, three the three sisters, sisters style. planting style technique. Um, it's high in vitamin A and vitamin C. You can eat the leaves like a spinach. It has... Um, a huge amount of medicinal uses. So it was be, it's used to treat malaria uh, and there are a number of other medicinal uh, uses there as well. But it's growing all over the world. It was exported to New Zealand in the 1980s as the Kuwano fruit and it also naturally occurs in, funnily enough, Croatia. Wow. <laughs> which is a, a difference, very different from, um, from the African origin. Yeah. Um, it grows in dry conditions. It's easy to grow, uh, and it is full of antioxidants. It's high in protein, and I think I popped it in there. Yeah, it's cucumbery flavor, lemon, and a bit of sweetness. Why so, is why aren't people growing this more? I don't this sounds know. Like, this is, sounds like my new favorite cucumber. <laughs> this is I'm, I'm going to put it out there as underutilized, but um, give it a go. Did you get this? Set? Did you buy these seeds? Or I did. Just, yeah, where, I've where got more seeds. From? An apothecary, no. a Harry Potter. I don't remember if it was Dickers Witches Cauldron <laughs> ingredients <laughs> style shop. Like, where did you get this? It very much does look like something that you would see on a Star Trek when they when <laughs> <laughs> when they go up to the computer and punch in some, some sort of some alien alien fruit. food, or it's from Harry Potter <laughs> from Amazing. Mrs. Sprout's garden. Well, I'm. I, I, if you have some seeds to spare, mm. I'd love to give this a go. It's probably mm. a bit late now, but eh, who knows? Uh, I will definitely be grabbing some prime examples as well, some specimens that I've seeds. got and saving some seeds awesome. from them. So rest assured, yes, we've got you covered. I'll, I'll come back. I'll swing back uh, in six months <laughs> and ask you for it. Uh, that's awesome. Thank, yeah. you for, thank you for that. And, um, yeah, any listeners out there, do you grow it? Mm. Is it something that's a staple in your in your cuisine, in your home? Um, what else might you use it for? Let us know on that number, which is, I'm looking around, 0493 213 831. Um, what else has been happening? Spreading mulch down at the farm. Yes. Doing lots of weed maintenance um, and watering, cleaning around the fruit trees. <laughs> 
I'm already having trauma <laughs> thinking about the weeds on Saturday, where they're going to get to after today. Ah, yeah. after the downpour and the heat. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Hopefully we've done yeah. a, we've done a good job and it's been a bit more resilient there. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to highlight some of the things that I've been seeing around the place. Mm. So what's what can I see that's fruiting at the moment or that's producing at the moment? Um, so just a quick highlight. So things like apples and pears, probably still ripening a little bit. Well and truly set, well and truly formed. They're looking great. You might look at them and go, that looks delicious and then take it off and it's still highly sour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, pumpkins are getting huge and I think probably now is that hardening off time where mm. maybe the vines are starting to die down a little bit and they're just sitting in the sun and um, getting a thicker skin and sweetening up on the inside. Yeah. Um, what else? Sweet potatoes I've seen around the place which are flourishing. Um, carrots have been coming out as well. Zucchinis and cucumber, as we know. And um, then in terms of the perennials, there was lots of rhubarb around or has been lots of rhubarb really producing well at the moment. And then corn and tomatoes, of course. Mm. It's funny you mentioned pumpkins. I have my, my, my crook neck butternut. Mm. So listeners, just imagine a butternut pumpkin that's had its top part stretched and bent over a little bit. Um, I think it's the predecessor to it's what butternuts that we know were bred from mm. originally. Uh, you know, for the longest time, lots of vine. And I'm looking around and I'm like, where the hell are these pumpkins? There's none here. And then I found one hiding. And it is, I mean, no one can see what I'm doing with my arms. <laughs> that big. That big. <laughs> it, it's... <laughs> It's it's the size of a one year old. <laughs> That's the way I would describe it. It's about uh, fifty centimeters, yeah. about a half a meter. Across. Now there's probably about a dozen at varying stages of maturity. Mm. Sort of. So I'm hoping a few of those um, kind of make it and get to um, get to full maturity. But that big one is is starting to harden off, and I'm like, I don't even, I don't want to eat it. I just want to say it's one of those ones I want to like mount it on the wall, a display. Pumpkin. Look at my pumpkin. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool. I like this time of year for that reason, seeing all those those bigger crops mm. and the ones that you wait a long time for get to that point where they're nearly ready is very exciting. Yep. yep. Assuming weather today doesn't, you know, <laughs> split doesn't them decimate or them or yeah, split or them or anything. Fruit. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a bit about our gardens. Do you have any other bits and pieces that you wanted to share with us as well? That's it, I think, for me. Let's go to a song. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, sorry, pen noises. <laughs> uh, so this one, uh, you've probably not heard this one before. This is Sunny by Boney M. Hello, I'm Mark Evans from Rose Tattoo and previously ACDC and you're listening to Radio Carom. Stay tuned. Welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Carom. I'm Henry. I am Brendan. And that was Sunny by Boney M. Do me a favour though, if you haven't seen the video clip for this song, it's a live performance, watch it. The, I think it's a guy and his three sisters or something mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, so anyway, the guy uh, is the most wild dancer I've ever seen in my life. Was he wearing a silver sort of jumpsuit? Something like that, yeah, mm. with no shirt. Oh, mm. It's like, you know, like a little weird one piece type mm. thing and he's sweating profusely on another level so on another level and then his yeah the three backup singers in the back or they're like the main singers they're in the back just kind of like you know doing a normal sort of singer type groove mm. and then he's just going nuts <laughs> in the background <laughs> um yeah sunny boney m 
Rock and roll. I think they're doing a farewell tour at the moment. Oh, okay. Yeah, anyway, food for thought. Let's talk about um, weird tropical fruits. Weird tropical fruits. <laughs> Lychees, rambutans, longan berries. Wow. I've had... I know I've had one of these. I may have had longans as well. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. Well, in this next little bit, I... I uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to describe them um, well enough that you'll be able to identify them when you go into the uh, shops next time. Go to Henry's in Bayside. They've yep. always got a few of those interesting. Oh, absolutely, there. and and very much as well, um, based on where where these fruits and trees come through from, uh, often in Southeast Asian cuisine. Mm. So, if you're hitting any of the uh, centres like Springvale or any of the market areas, yeah. Box Hill. Phew, you'd definitely be able to find um, these sorts of fruits there as well. You will find them in, in the big two as well, but yep. um, often they pro- might be a bit older, <laughs> may mm. not be super tasty. Overpriced. Mm, yeah, yeah. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Exactly. We'll, but they, we'll they get, are. We'll get angry. <laughs> they, they are there. So let's talk lychees. Mm. Um, lychee or lychee chinensis. And the way that I was thinking about this one, uh, I wanted to think a couple of words. Mm. Red, round and scaly. Yep. Uh, and quite small as well. Yeah, I think spiky so. red golf ball is what I think, I think in my head. Ah. Um, how so, I tell them apart. Because oh, normally when okay. you see them, they're like already peeled. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So the red, round and scaly, but a smooth skin. So not furry mm. or anything like that on yep. the on the lychees themselves. And then when we look at rambutans, um, the botanical name for uh, rambutan is Nephilium lapacium. Mm. And I, I was thinking here larger, just a little bit larger, not too much, uh, but red, same sort of a colour and furry soft spikes. So more long furry soft spikes mm. uh, on, a, on a rambutan. And longan, uh, dimocarpus longan. And it's a smaller and it's smaller fruit than all three, I think. So rambutans are the biggest, uh, lychees are in the middle and longan berries are going to be the smaller uh, and still a thin but quite a firm skin. Right. Um, All of these fruits have got a translucent whitish flesh that surrounds a seed, generally a single seed. Yeah. And the reason that we've kind of bunched them all in the same grouping here is because they are all part of the same family, which is the soapberry family. Um, Now, the soapberry family contains 138 uh, genera and about 1,900 accepted species in there. Wow. And examples of these ones also include the horse chestnut, uh, maples, uh, aki, and as, as we mentioned as well, lychee. It's funny that you mentioned chestnut because if I think of what a chestnut looks like when it's still on the tree, mm-hmm. it looks like a green lychee. It's that spiky golf ball sized um, yeah, fruit, I guess. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that makes total sense. I had no idea that they were closely related or, you know, in the same family. Mm, yep. No, this is this was, was great new information mm. for me as well. Um, and lychees and rambutans and longans, as I mentioned, they're all members of this uh, soapberry family and this one's called Sapindaceae and it also includes, I'm going to give it a try, uh, Mamoncio. Uh, Latin America, yeah. Yep. That's how you got it bang on. All right, thank Muy you. Muy bien. 
Um, and I had a look at these ones online as well, and a, a green, small, similar sort of fruit um, enjoyed in in Sat- Latin America and South America. Mm. Uh, now these. The Sapindaceae it occurs in temperate and tropical regions and many in laurel flor- uh, forest habitats uh, all over the world. So it's quite interesting. Now these plants I just wanted to highlight often get um, can be damaged by insects uh, and pests and there's unfortunately quite often pesticides used on commercially grown fruit. So often when we get lychees, it's, it's a bit of a strategy is just to go straight at it with the teeth, yeah. rip off a bit <laughs> and then peel off the sides. Um, so I'd probably just say put a little word of caution out there mm. and say if you're not too sure where it's coming from, uh, from a supplier point of view, then it might be just best to use a knife and, and cut off the skins that way. Yeah. Um, with the Rambutan, probably you need to use a knife yeah um with long arm you can still use your fingers if you need to you can still crack and and break that skin uh by itself Hmm. then what can you do with them um so you can dehydrate them you can jam them you can freeze them you can put them in desserts uh with yogurt a swedish fruit and and uh, that translucent flesh what do you what are your thoughts when you have tasted lychee I've usually had it as an ingredient in a drink, so I'm thinking bubble tea. Yep, is probably the the thing that sticks out in my head Mm -hmm. where I've had it the most. Not that I'm a huge bubble tea drinker, but you know, um, when you're younger, I think, and you see it, then you're like, "Oh, I haven't had that before." And um, I, I think I've had them fresh a couple of times as well, Mm. and I like it. I'm, I'm not a huge sweet guy i don't have a sweet tooth Mm. i prefer fruit more on the tart to even stupidly sour side of things i don't know something about that tells my brain it's good for me (laughs) (laughs) uh must have lots of antioxidants uh i don't know so um it's it's in that sort of category of um i like the flavor but i i eat them sparingly because mm, mm. um, it gets a bit too sickly for me. Yep. But as an ingredient in something or, yeah, in yogurt, in like a tart Greek yogurt, that's the kind of stuff I love to put in in a tart yogurt. Um, yeah, that's I, – I feel like I'm going to have to pick some up next time I'm at the shop. I want to get one of each. Yep. And Do a and taste test. Do a taste test and, and see, hey, maybe I can make this fit in my life somehow or maybe I should grow, try and grow one. Mm, mm. Um, I imagine they wouldn't be terribly difficult to grow. Maybe. I don't know. Not well, they they're big trees. Generally speaking, they're quite big trees. So I mm. think um thinking about space is is gonna be a bit of a challenge when it comes to these ones, but we'll continue on a little bit. Um just I think fortunately, um I've had a bit of exposure to these fruits and, and it's simply through my my wife and her family yeah. um, coming through from Southeast Asia and and being able to go over and, and have fruit there at the ready, grapes, longans and lychee together awesome. quite often. Mm. Really, really delicious. Um, for me, I'm a bit of a sucker for fruit. I think I could almost uh, just really <laughs> survive and live on fruit. Mr. Fruit Tree over here. So. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> jumping around it. If you were looking at an Australian variant for a soap berry. I love this. Yes. Um, you, you actually inspired me a lot of times because you said there is an alternative 
Mm. Um, in in fact, in English cottage gardens, you've said it a few times that you wanted to do a native Australian English cottage garden that yep. looks like an English cottage garden. Love it. Um, so this predominantly Australian option is uh, a variety. Uh, it's a different plant, but it is from the same family. Uh, and the botanical name is Dodonea, Dodonea viscosa. And it's actually a type of hop bush. Mm. So maybe not fantastic to eat, but um, hops can actually be made as a substitute for hops to make beer. I've se- I think I've seen this a couple of, you know, well, one variety of craft beer um, one time that I saw in a random shop mm. said um, made with hop bush. With hop bush. And I was like, is that just a weird name for hops? Mm. Hops is not really a bush, it's a vine. Mm. Um, must have been talking about this. Mm. Mm. Um, and it's it was used by Indigenous Australians to to treat toothaches um, as various other things as well. Mm. So that's a that's an option for you. It's a predominantly Australian. It's not just Australian, but predominantly. Yeah, right. Um, but jumping back into the lychees and the, the longans and the rambutans. So longan, um, in terms of how tall can these trees grow, we're talking seven, eight metres for the longans. We're talking up to 15 metres for lychees and up to 25 metres for rambutans. Oh, wow. So rambutans are straight up a canopy tree. <laughs> yeah. But longan berries sounds doable. Even lychee sounds doable if you keep them pruned down. Mm. Um, and yeah. If you have a look at the longan tree as it's fruiting and and uh, falling over with these big clumps of, of fruit on them, they they look pretty cool. They yeah, look really incredible. Uh, so these guys are going to tend to, or these plants are going to tend to prefer prefer the tropical climate, like the East Asia, Northern Australia, um, Melbourne. They, this one day of today, the year. <laughs> today in Melbourne. <laughs> So you can, yeah, and I've, I've actually seen, I was looking around uh, for videos of people's growing their own lychees in Melbourne uh, yeah. and, and putting it on YouTube and stuff like that. I mean, people grow bananas in Melbourne, yep. so it's it's doable. It's doable. If you've got the right microclimate. Exactly. And that was probably the, the real, the key point to drill down into. And we've talked about microclimate. So this is going to be something that you want a, a f- warm, frost-free mm. location you, you want warm summers. We want cool winters um, to make the to produce both the male and female flowers and to get fruiting. So, both flowers produced on the one tree. No need uh, for cross pollination. Well, um, not in all cases. Oh. Uh, funnily enough, the the lychees uh, are self pollinating. The rambutans, are, I believe, which one? Cross pollinating. Cross pollinating. Oh, yeah, and the long arms were self pollinating as well. Uh, and there, there was a little part of science that came out of this and I decided to delve a little bit deeper and uh, we have heard plenty of times this question, do we need two plants, do we need a male and female? Mm. I wanted to share something with you, a little botanical stuff and if I get this wrong, please correct me, everyone. <laughs> everyone, the botanists out there, please correct me but I'll give it a try. Um, monoecious plants. Monoecious. Monoecious, yep. I believe. Um, <laughs> I might be wrong. Uh, are the are the bisexual species uh, also known as perfect flowers? They have both male and female sex organs, and these is what essentially ninety percent of plants um, of species are monoecious or monoecious. Mm. And uh, would you say this one is dioecious or yep. dioecious? Dioecious, I think. Dioecious. Well, anyway, let's let's put it out to the crowd to yeah. get corrected and uh, and validated. Teach us, please. Teach us. 
And dioecious plants or dioecious plants are going to be the unisex uh, or unisexual plants that are known as imperfect flowers. They only have one, either a male or female sex organ. So essentially you are going to need multiple plants around them mm. and ideally a male and a female. So a, a native Australian um, bush food that people are probably aware of, the pepperberry, mm-hmm. is, is a classic example where you go to the shop and don't just buy one, have a look on the label because one will say male and one will say female and you have to get one of each mm. um, if you want pepperberries, obviously. <laughs> if you just want to chew the leaves, that's fine. And now that one, so that, that was actually two new words for me that I had to try and get my head around and and I totally mm. understood the concept and the idea and, of course, that makes sense, but then monoecious or monoecious and dioecious, dioecious plants, there's some terminology for you from the science world. Yeah, good to know and good to to keep that in mind when you're buying in particular something like, um, I mean, they're usually perennials, right? Longer-lived plants because mm. they don't... If you think about it from the point of view of a plant, it wants to reproduce. Yep. Annuals want to get it done quick yep. and they want to spread a bajillion seeds out and hope for the best. Uh, your perennials, and you know that includes, of course, fruit trees and things, are more likely to say, you know what, I'm going to be around for 10, 20, 50 years. Mm-hmm. I can take my time. I, I don't have to have such heavily evolved flowers that are perfect. Mm. I can have, you know, male and female and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, always look at the label. It's a good little trick here because I I get this question a lot from people. I'm like, oh, I put in in an apple or or something and I've got no apples. And I'm like, okay, where's your other apple? Mm. What do you mean? Mm. Like, do I need two? And I'm like, yeah, and they need to be specific types. Mm. (laughs) You need to do your research for that stuff. And I think from memory... Kiwi fruit. Kiwi fruit's another one. Yep. Yep. It's so a classic story of my parents have this gorgeous kiwi fruit that covers their entire balcony railing, mm. which is sizable. Um, no kiwi fruit. No kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's only one. Or maybe there's two, but they're both male or something. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It is what it is. Um, there you go. So jumping back into a few little fun facts uh, around these these trees, uh, have you ever heard of lychee honey? No, but I can picture what, <laughs> what's going on. Well, we, we definitely mm. know that things like manuka and vermanuka honey and yeah. different types and honey will essentially take on different components of what the flowers yeah. are that the bees are feeding on. Um, and bees living near lychee orchards can make lychee honey, essentially, which is a delicate and floral-flavoured fruity honey. That's awesome. Uh, lychee trees generally will begin cropping after three to five years of planting. However, they'll probably produce their biggest crops around year 10. And <laughs> That's <laughs> a long game, that one. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yep. uh, but lychee trees, as we said, they're self-pollinating. You only need one of those. Uh, the long arm which is, again, that brown, smaller fruit, two to three years for fruit to produce. It is self-pollinating. The soil doesn't need to be particularly rich but should be just a little bit acidic. So we're talking five, five 5.5 to 6. So now I'm thinking about the thing that we talked about last show, maybe one of the late shows last year, mm. um, food forests. Yep. Um, this is a great one if you're looking to have, I don't know, you want lots of blueberries or something and you want to figure out how do I, how can I food forest my, my, my blueberries? Forest, blueberries, yep, um, yep. Perhaps plant them under uh, a long berry mm. and then you can have similar soil for both of them. 
Um, that's a fantastic idea and mm. really good connection the as well. Acid corner, <laughs> because as you said, blueberries are generally are going to like a little bit more acidic soil. Yeah, I, th- I think it is usually about five point five to six point five or thereabouts. So mm. um, perfect, they do quite well. And, and of course, blueberries want to be under trees. Mm. That's where they go. That's where they grow in nature. So have a think about it. And uh, uh, you know, just to reflect on that specifically for blueberries. It has been one of the the uh, shrubs, small bushes that, when I've had it out and in a pot, in direct sunlight on these sorts of hot days, mm. it can be a, a next day and poof, the whole thing is brown. And I, I, got had, it. I haven't I, even checked my blueberries today. <laughs> I'm like, oh no! <laughs> Hopefully, I, they're one of the ones I hand watered because I was like, it will need it. Yeah. Um, going back to those long arms, mm. not going to tolerate wet feet, uh, so. Light sandy loam is really good for that, and um, you could also pop them in a, into a pot. But essentially, I think if you're going to be wanting fruit from it, you, we we want the long arm to be a tree and, and in the ground. Yeah. Um. Well, that's pretty much it. I wanted to put a shout out. If you're looking for exotic fruits, have you ever heard of this company before? This nursery. The name really rings a bell, mm. but New South. I mean, I lived in Sydney for three years, so maybe that's why, or maybe just they have a good online shop. I think they've got a very good presence of different types of exotic fruit. I think and that's... and a really wide range. So I it's think I've heard of them. Uh, mm. Daly's Fruit Nursery in New South Wales, um, and when I was looking originally for uh, jujube jujube yep. uh, trees, that that's where one of the places that I found that was able to stock it. And they just send it to you <coughs> in the post kind of uh, thing? Actually, the jujube jujube trees, when I bought them, I wound up buying them basically off Marketplace oh, or, wow, or okay. Facebook or finding out somebody who was trying to sell sell their plants that they had at home. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, I didn't go to the shops for those ones. That was home, home propagated. Nice. That is... All I've really got on lychees and long arms and rambutans, but I hope it's been educational and entertaining. I love to learn about new things uh, in in this space and um, I feel like I I have got a fair – I've got enough knowledge now that if someone's like, oh, you know, I want a tree that gives me like a nice tropical fruit but my soil is a bit acidic and I'd be like – (laughs) <laughs> yep. I've got the thing for you, my friend. <laughs> so, no, thank you for that, that little deep dive there. Um, and as I said, any listeners, um, let us know uh, if, if this is something that you grow or you have any hot tips on how to do it really well, uh, especially in our climate here. Um, get in touch. But before we get into what you might do if you had too many lychees and uh, <laughs> you wanted to preserve them, um, we'll go to another song. So this one is Daisy by Pond. Hi everybody, this is Wit from Spiderbait. When I'm passing through Karam, aside from slowing down to 50 kilometres an hour and reminisce about doing the Eel Race Road Rumba or the Watley Street Wiggle, I like to tune in to Radio Karam and get down with the good vibes. And welcome back to The Gardening Show on Radio Karam. That was... Well, I'm Henry. I'm Brendan. And that was Daisy by Pond. Very nice. 
we were just talking during the song about uh, tropical fruit that can kill you, uh, in particular <laughs> uh, durian. Not the smell, but the way that it falls from trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the nets. Uh, so, but, but essentially, huge canopy trees, big nets, and allowing them to drop onto the nets, and uh, they can weigh a lot. Durian and jackfruit. And jackfruit's one of the biggest. I think it is takes the title of the biggest fruit. Yeah, and jackfruit you can get, you know, many tens of kilos in there. Wow. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a weird tropical fruit tasting. Mm. Maybe not durian though because I don't think we'll be allowed back in the studio if we stink it out with, <laughs> with durian. But it's entirely possible. Anyway. Um, yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about preserving foods a little bit today. So this is that time of year where you're going to, as you mentioned, tomatoes mm. out the wazoo. I've got – I can't I – I don't have enough recipes – for, for for zucchini, for the zucchini, amount of zucchini yeah. that I have. Mm, mm. Um, and getting to that point where it's like, you know, you're telling your friends, please have a zucchini. <laughs> so what can you do? There's, you know, lots of things that people think about, you know, maybe pickling or freezing and stuff like that. But there's actually a lot of different techniques um, that, that have been employed throughout history to mm. help preserve food and um, still work. And most of them are really easy you can do them at home even the ones that are a little bit more involved um, like smoking um, it's actually pretty easy to do if you just DIY up a few bits and bobs to make that possible but where does it all start I think it starts with harvesting yep yep um, so harvesting fruits herbs veggies whatever it is that you're you're looking to preserve at peak ripeness um, or letting them get ripe. So if it's tomatoes, you probably harvest them a little bit early, let them ripen fully before you start preserving them mm. because they will not continue to ripen once you've applied a preserving technique. That makes that makes total sense. <laughs> They've stopped. They're, they're, they're dead, so, so to speak. Um, but also, you know, that's going to give you maximum nutritional content as well. And something that you mentioned before as well um, is time of day that you harvest mm. as well. So... You know, with things like herbs, I think it's usually best to harvest earlier in the morning before it gets too hot mm-hmm. for that sort of peak freshness and flavor. Same with your your greens and stuff because um, they'll still be kind of crisp and nice. Don't harvest lettuce when it's wilted yep. in the middle of the day, yep. of course. Um, tomatoes, I've heard mixed things because I like to harvest tomatoes in the heat of the day because mm-hmm. then these little... Little sweet sun, sun drops, sun drops of, of goodness, of goodness and joy <laughs> that don't make it into the house. Um, but having a think about and doing a bit of research on when is the optimal time to harvest your crop, either to achieve ripeness indoors and protect it from pests, or an example that I have from my garden is passion fruit, where you basically wait till they fall off the vine yep. and you pick them up off the ground. So you really need to be checking at this time of year. I got eight off the ground today. Um, get them before the the wildlife in your area gets them. Um, but that's when you know they'll sort of be at peak sweetness. Yeah, so knowing when to, to harvest mm. or and when to pick certain fruits and things mm. like that. You know, I think it's also really good trial and error. Um, yeah. I was mentioning before about those plums. I think I've tried a number of plums which have been slightly underripe mm. and assuming that they're going to be good and things like that but um, a little bit of a trial and error and uh, or it could simply just be when you've got the time to do it. Oh, true, <laughs> true. And, you know, again, 
good idea to have a garden journal uh, where every time you start a new plant uh, that you've never grown before, that's maybe some of the information you put down there. Mm. Of, you know, harvest when it looks this size or, you know, um, if it's a, a jalapeno chili or something, you know, we always buy them when they're green. Maybe let one go a little bit further. Let one go all the way red. Mm. Let one go red with the kind of cracking down the side. Figure out which one tastes best for you and plan your harvests around that of what it is that you want to preserve specifically. That's good. Good strategy. Yeah. So storage. Well, a few a few basics on storage. So um, depending on the produce type, uh, it will depend um, – well, how you can store things will depend on what type of produce it is. So that might be, you know, refrigeration might be the only option for that particular thing. Um, freezing, canning, drying, whatever have you. Generally speaking, uh, for a lot of things, and in particular root crops, we're thinking cool, dark, dark, dry. Yeah, yep. cool, dark, and dry. Just like we're saving seeds. I think of it no differently. But for particular things like pumpkins or gourds or you know anything, really anything in the cucurbit family that you want to preserve, you want to let them harden off. A mm-hmm. um, bit of time sort of in a warm spot, maybe in the sun for a few days just until they get really nice and hard. And then, I mean, pumpkins can last months. Not months. up to nine or, months yeah, even depending yep. on the species. Really good to get you through the cold, harsh winters if you are... <laughs> When you, know, you need vegetable well, soup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so do you see, mm. Do you call that hardening off process as well curing? Curing. Yep. Yeah, curing. Um, yeah, so, sorry. That's a much better word to use because for me hardening off is, is actually at the other end of the spectrum where you've, you've grown some seedlings in a protected oh, space. Of and course. You want to harden them off, off in preparation for winter. You yeah. want them to survive you're, through winter. You're getting them, getting them strong mm-hmm. <laughs> to go out, to go out into, the, into the wild. Um, so yeah, certainly um, curing, and and again, something that you would also do with uh, garlic and with onions, where you, in in particular with garlic and onions, you want those outer layers to really become papery and dry, mm. and then that'll stop the inside from from rotting. Yeah, yeah. So things to think about before you even go into long term storage. And just quickly, whilst we talk about curing uh, specifically on those root crops, mm. so potatoes, carrots, um, do you leave the dirt on? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Um, I you mean, you can brush the dirt off mm-hmm. to an extent. What you don't want to do is wet them. So don't go pull out the carrots, wash them all, don't wash them. and then put them into your storage outside of the fridge. That's it. Because yep. guess what? Uh what do the pathogens and the microorganisms and the bacteria and stuff that, and the fungus that that sort of rot living things, mm-hmm. what do they like? Water. A moist environment. Mm. So no, no matter how much you dry that potato, I guarantee you there will be a bit of moisture in the eye or, you know, somewhere on it. Mm. So, yeah, just just be aware that, you know, if you want to preserve food like this for a long time, it's going to get a bit dirty. Brush it off as much as you like. Um, dry brush to get most of the dirt off. Almost like when you buy brushed potatoes mm-hmm. in the supermarket. And they've still of, got plenty of bu- yeah, bit of dirt on there. Yep. And if they're in a cool, dark place, and we'll talk about uh, root cellaring <laughs> as one of these uh, options, something that maybe you can build uh, yourself. Um, yeah, they should keep for a very long time. I've seen potatoes kept for almost a year. Wow. In, in a sort of dry 
cool root cellar type environment. Mm-hmm. So totally doable. Um, yeah. So let's get into it. What's um, what's what's one of the first ones? I think everyone's fully aware of canning. Canning, yes. <laughs> you could buy lots of things in cans. Mm-hmm. Fruit. You can still buy peaches in cans. Mm-hmm. That's nice. I walked past the other day. I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot that existed as a thing. Um, but also you can you can can um, you know any number of legumes, you know vegetables. You can you can can mushrooms. You can can anything really. But it's important to know. Well, why would you can and how do you can? So mm. canning is is a way to essentially seal completely and perfectly seal uh, the food that you've put inside after it has been treated with heat to kill off any pathogens that are in there. Mm. Yep. Again, we're talking like hand sanitizer. You're killing off 99.99%. So canning does not last forever. But if done correctly... It's going to last a pretty good time. Potentially decades. When you're talking canning, are you talking like an actual can, like a metal can, or are you talking both. jars? Both. So canning in this sense Mason jars means and that both. Sort of stuff. Exactly. It's the same principle. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is to you know remove as much air as possible and what's left is is heated for an extended period of time, a certain temperature for a certain length of time to, to kill off microorganisms, uh, enzymes that sort of help these things break down as they as they rot. Uh, also helps to sterilize the containers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great thing about canning is it actually makes things taste better over time. Hey, why is that? Not exactly sure. <laughs> Just does? But, you know. Pickled, uh, pickled cucumbers. Don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> science. <laughs> Just like hashtag it. science. Uh, <laughs> but you know, some people will. You know, the part of, um, uh, of of the Spanish Peninsula where I'm from is quite famous for canned seafood. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, things like sardines, tuna, obviously, but you know, mussels, mackerel, etc. And uh, people rave about it. There you go. It's just something about it, almost like how you let a sauce cook for a long time and yep. it just gives the flavors a chance to meld and yep. something i don't know i'm not a chef so <laughs> anyway um canning might be one worth noting if you do want to go down this route you can if you want to be real serious about it you should probably buy a canning setup mm. which has like a big water chamber type thing and i don't know any of the names of this stuff um but you can also just do it with a stock pot some boiling water and, you know, buy some little tongs for yep. lifting things out. And it's not that hard to do, but do it well. I did. I've tried a few times with a, yep. a few different pickling and canning options and exactly that. Um, and that was the very much the, the thought process. It's I need to sterilize it, pop the whole thing in, in boiling water, let mm. it boil for a bit, mm. make sure that when I'm then pulling the Mac back out again that I'm not putting you know, grubby fingers on or exactly. in the yep. jar, making sure that that jar still <laughs> stays as a, a clean environment. Mm-hmm. And then once the um, cant was was in, uh, making sure it was sealed properly yep. and that that seal had taken, that vacuum had almost sucked it. And you need that vacuum. That's mm. the sign, I think. Because, mm. you know, if you do it well, 10-year shelf life. You mm. do it bad, botulism and yep. death so you know not to scare anybody but just follow some good rules look at information online and just be really careful with how clean you are yep, yep. and it's fine 
It's we fun. did apricot jam last and, and jammed up a mm. few bottles of jam. It was brilliant. It, la- it lasted, uh, it popped into the fridge, had jam on hand. Anytime I actually wanted that taste of apricot, oh, it was there. And I knew it was my apricots as well that mm. I'd grown. Ah, it's the best. That's awesome. Well, that's canning. I'll jump forward a little bit um, and then come back on, on the notes here. But, you know, canning is obviously and, and putting things in jars is, is, is one side of it and that's using heat. Mm-hmm. But we can also use acid mm. in a similar way and this is, this is essentially what pickling is. So pickling, again, is, you know, putting things in very sterile <laughs> jars um, but instead of heating over a long period of time, we are instead extending the shelf life by lowering the pH and creating an environment where pathogens just can't grow. It's too acidic. So we usually do this through the use of uh, uh, vinegar. Acetic um, acid? Yep. Mm. Um, or brine. So salt is salt. the other one as yep. well. Um, and my personal favorite, both. <laughs> so <laughs> At the same a time. A <laughs> standard pickling mixture, one part vinegar, one part water, um, look up your own recipe but basically um, if it's one cup of vinegar one cup of water a tablespoon of salt a tablespoon of sugar mm. heat that up till it's boiling take it off the heat immediately pour it all over whatever the hell that it is you want to pickle <laughs> so it might be radishes or, or cucumbers of course mm-hmm. and then let that cool down in a sterile environment and then put the lid on boom doesn't last as long um, unless you also employ a vacuum type system mm-hmm. um, and make it shelf stable. But it's a great way to do a little quick and easy preservation technique that will last you potentially a month or two mm. um, if you just want to be kind of quick about it. Have well, you pickled anything before? Not pickled per se. Well, actually, you know, I, I'll... I'll take a step back and say, yes, I have, but not for long-term storage. Mm, um, cucumbers, and this was something, again, it was from uh, my, my grandma. Um, she would be sliced up cucumbers yep. and then some apple cider or some white vinegar just poured onto it. And it was just a bowl and it would be a little side Easy. dish. And then you just pick up a few of them as you're eating whatever it is, the schnitzel and the um, and potato salad or something along nice. those lines. Mm. Um, so, yes, in, in some respects, yeah. yeah. And look, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, again, we're not talking necessarily about making them shelf stable in all cases. You, mm. you can just do that. And then that little pickle that you've made side dish, you could put it in the fridge and it will still be fine a week from then. Mm, Whereas yep. if you just had sliced cucumber sitting in the fridge, it would look pretty gnarly and pretty ordinary after <laughs> pretty, a week. Pretty, pretty crappy <laughs> after a week. So that's sort of what we're talking about. Um, you know, a lot of these are short-term, long-term, or somewhere in the middle. Now, one that I love uh, because my father-in-law has one is dehydrating or ah. drying. Again, you can do this in the oven. You don't need a dehydrator. But if you have a lot of fruit... Um, or lots of tomatoes, or you just love semi-dried things mm-hmm. or fully dried things, they're not that expensive and well worth it in my opinion. But basically, this is just removing, like like the not washing potatoes, mm-hmm. um, we are uh, removing moisture that's already present yeah. and reducing um, the amount of, I don't know, material that can harbor pests pest and disease hmm. um so really easy 
you can air dry as well, by the way. You can put things out in the sun. That's another option um, if you want to do it real old school. You can just do it in a low and slow oven. Um, but great for snacks, great for making things shelf stable as well and great for if you're one of those very lucky people that has 10 apple trees laden with fruit, you don't know how on earth am I going to eat this many apples before they go off, mm-hmm. dehydrate them and you'll have apple chips mm. for six months. Yes. Hey, <coughs> you're talking Sorry. my language. I like this. This is mm. great. Drying fruit. I do need a dehydrator at some stage. It's, yeah, I can't, can't recommend it. No, I, I don't even own one, but I have access to one. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's very much just that it's just slow and low, low temperature, bit of heat, mm. constant and airflow going yeah. around to take out the moisture pretty much. It's really fun as well to see like, what well, can you hydrate? Mm. Like, you know, because mm. everyone's had probably banana chips in the past or yep. dried, you know, Peaches, dried apricots. apricots. Um, but Sultanas. my father-in-law again, when he goes to, I'll, I'll shout them out again. I've got no problem shouting out this place. Um, Henry's yep. in Bayside. Great. If, for fresh food, pretty pretty awesome. Um, they always have like out the front the things that are just they've had gluts of. So yeah. it might be like twenty mangoes for five dollars, yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, something yeah. like that. And uh, lo and behold, every every couple of weeks, uh, his name's Manfred. Uh, shout out to Manfred. Off he comes uh, from the shops with you know I don't know how many apples or you know tomatoes or trays or, or trays of whatever <laughs> and. We have like an infinite source of dehydrated fruits so and vegetables. It's great. <laughs> um, so really cool way to, I think to we, um, create, yeah. I think we know who snacks. to take a lesson from when we learn how to dehydrate stuff. He has it down to a fine art. <laughs> nice. The thickness of the apple for the ideal chewiness to crunchiness ratio, you know, all, yep. all that yep. stuff. Uh, so, yeah, big uh, shout out there. And one thing actually <laughs> as well with the with the apples when drying um, or with some fruit when drying to stop it from orange or browning off is to pop a little bit of lemon juice on it another great one which in in a way you're pickling yeah it's just a quick way to pickle that's that's the best way to preserve a fruit salad is to semi pickle it Mm. (laughs) with lemon juice um what What else else? we've got got freezing freezing um i'm sure you've frozen things before plenty (laughs) (laughs) so i don't need to go too much into this um but what you can do as a little trick is you can blanch things before you freeze them to help preserve color, flavor, and nutrition. Tell me a question. And this is a curious one that I've been thinking of. If you don't know the answer, no worries. Putting things into the fridge or putting things into the, into the freeze, freezer, does it? how does it lose nutritional content? That's a good question. And I don't actually know the exact reason. Because I hear about snap freezing things mm. like snow peas uh, and that it can maintain um, nutritional content in, in those sorts of things. And I want to find out why, where does it go? I believe this has something to do with why, I mean, when you freeze and defrost things, their texture is a bit ruined. Mm-hmm. It's the moisture in the cells crystallizes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when it crystallizes and then, you know, re-liquefies, it can burst the cell walls mm. and bleh, spill all the goodness out. <laughs> mm. Something along those lines. So I'm going to take that as a little mission upon myself to learn for next time. That's I'll- a good one. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I've heard this a lot before. Um, in particular, I'm not so sure about nutrition retention, but in terms of color, mm. absolutely. I've heard that that's a really good way to, you know, let's say you want to freeze um, you know, some spinach or something. Um, good way to do it is to kind of blanch it first, 
and then freeze it. Mm. And um, it retains the color. There you go. Again, why? I don't know, but I have noticed that. So I like it. Well, we'll come back to freezing for next time. Yeah. And uh, look, if you have a ton of food in your garden, you know, uh, it is worth looking into, you know, a chest freezer mm-hmm. or something where it stays a lot colder, it doesn't get opened as often, and you can store frozen fruit, for example, for years, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. to be honest. You mentioned this one before, root cellaring. Root cellaring. So you could just put these in a pantry yep. <laughs> and just make a little, you know, a little container there as a mini root cellar. But what you can do is actually build a for-purpose root cellar. So you can do this literally by building a hole in the ground and with a little trapdoor, almost like a little wine cellar kind mm-hmm. of thing. You can – I've seen them done under decks, not decks that are exposed to full sun but ones that have shade on them mm-hmm. and do stay quite cool underneath. Uh, I have seen them quite extreme. So someone building essentially the size of a, you know – small caravan into the side of a hill. It's almost like a hobbit home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that amount of earth over the top creates a very cool and constant temperature mm. and essentially just has it as dry storage, not only for, for root crops but also cans and other things that, again, should be kept at a relatively consistent temperature. Mm. You don't want to leave your canned fruit out in the sun. Out in the sun. Either. Mm. So um, worth exploring if, if you are mad about potatoes and carrots and pumpkins and things like that, um, onions. Maybe there's another option that you can you can find. Um, some unused space under a deck, um, a corner of the garden that's always shady where you could think about building a root cellar. Doesn't mean you have to go out there to get a potato every time you want one, but I don't know, have a think. It's funny how that the often the natural place for things like potatoes um, when you put when we go home and buy it from the shops the very first place that we put it or when we go into store it bottom of the pantry the back of the <laughs> and you're basically the creating the coolest darkest place yeah you're that you're taking all of those concepts your mm. your consistent temperature your dark dry cool area that sort of thing that's it yeah i like it i've even seen for people that um have floorboards in their home so it's just just plain floorboards over the you know, the, the structure that the house is built on. What am I even thinking of the word? But mm. it's been a long, hot day. Um, people that essentially have the act, have ability to cut away a piece of floorboard and get under the house mm-hmm. to cut a trapdoor and build a root cellar under their house in the crawl space. That's another great option. If you own the house, I will say. Maybe yep. don't cut up your um, landlord's, landlord's. <laughs> uh, floorboards. Um, but yeah, I've seen some really cool... Look look it up online, DIY root cellar, mm-hmm. and you'll see a plethora of like really interesting and unique ways that people have come up with doing this because this is a technique that has been used for thousands of years. Yep. So. <clears throat> I think all of these, most of these preservation techniques as well, People have been doing it for a long, 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 long time before refrigeration and things like that. So we, uh, we've obviously still been preserving food for some time. Mm. I like the next one. The it's next one of my one. favourites because we're talking about stopping fruit and vegetables and food from rotting. Mm. And this is the one where we're, we're rotting. We're actively <laughs> we're engaged. actively <laughs> rotting in a very specific and careful way. Fermentation. Fermentation, of yeah. Um, which is a very wide topic. Um, 
going everywhere from you know the production of alcohol essentially mm-hmm. through to um, you know different vinegars and things like that as well, like and everything in between. So fermentation essentially is controlled rotting. I'm going to give the very basic definition: controlled rotting. It's really bad. <laughs> it does. Um, but fermenting, fermenting. Uh, so the the use of yeasts typically um, specific yeasts to to change the chemical composition uh, and essentially either leading to something being preserved through alcohol um, and therefore not going off mm-hmm. um, or it could be acidifying something as well um, or even uh, increasing the sugar content um, which again a very high sugar content will stop things from rotting think of honey Right, last forever because it's basically 100% sugar. So, lots of ways to do this. This is one that has a really good health benefits. Um, some of my favorite foods are fermented, so sauerkraut and kimchi, two of my absolute favorite foods. Of course, um, pro, they're probiotic as well. They're really good for your gut health, and they have really unique flavors. And as I said to you before, I'm not really a sweet tooth. I'm a sour tart guy. That's what fermentation is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had much experience with with mm. fermenting? I'm going to give you a, a did you know. Ooh, please. Did you know? Um, do you know where kombucha comes from? I do. The very popular. But let's, let's, let's pretend that I don't. <laughs> I know a lot about kombucha, but uh, no. no. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> tell, Let tell me tell you. <laughs> um, is, it, so, is it that hippie drink? <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> um, so kombucha is... Essentially, a, a culture, uh, and it's it's the leftover water mixed with the culture, um, and the the culture, or the I guess you'd call it a mushroom. It's a, fungus. it's a fungus. It is a fungus. Yeah. Um, it's called a scoby, mm. and it will sit on that water, and it will create like a film um, that essentially allows that water to ferment over time. And, and it's gross. You add some fruits <laughs> and flavours to it, put it in a bottle and it is kombucha. It's amazing. Uh, uh, typically black tea is, mm. is the, the common base um, for, for standard kombucha, but you could you can make it with literally anything mm-hmm. um, in particular, as long as it has a, a source of sugar um, for that thing to keep growing. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. And again, probiotic, good for your good for your tummy. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is probably a bit of a shout out to, again, to my childhood because I, I have to give the credit to my mum. My mum was on to all sorts of alternative different pathways and things like that and she was kombuchering before kombucha was popular. Wow, that's so awesome. So I'm, I'm going to throw the OG out to mum for that one. <laughs> and a shout out to um, someone I did my permaculture course with, Hugo, who is like, a kombucha master as uh, well. One of these yeah. absolute mad scientist type things when it comes to kombucha. He said, "Like I've got <laughs> seven. Different. I've got seven different yeah. ones on the go. Uh, you know, here's a pomegranate one, and here's a this one, and a that one. All wow. these different flavors. And um, I still have a scoby. It's probably dead. Uh, <laughs> I haven't even looked at it in six months. <laughs> it's probably completely gone. But um, yeah, I got a scoby from from him originally. Mm. They made some really nice kombucha from." Um, just random herbal tea, like an echinacea herbal tea, okay. kombucha. Really nice. Well, if that is your thing, mm. you, it, it, it doesn't have to be a super expensive uh, foray. You can go out there and, mm. and make it yourself essentially. Yeah, definitely. Big pot and, yeah, scopey and you should be good to go. That's it. 
but yeah, that's the big thing. I mean, bring it back to food, I guess. Um, typically a great way to, it, it's well, fermentation is well known for a way to preserve cabbage mm-hmm. <laughs> really in different forms, but classic kimchi doesn't have to be cabbage. It can be lots of different things. Mm. So, um, yeah, have a look at that one if you like those sorts of flavors and you have a lot of greens that you want to preserve. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really good way to do it. And when we were talking about worm teas mm. um, and leaving worm teas, so, you know, getting old grass clippings or getting old weeds and throwing it in a big bucket of water and leaving that bucket of water for yeah. a long, long time to ferment and create a worm That's what tea, you're doing. this is essentially the same principle, right? That's it. That's, of course, relying on the natural yeasts Mm -hmm. and things in the air and again there are methods of fermentation that do use natural yeasts um, from the air classic sourdough um, you know wild fermented sourdough is is one Um, but yeah uh, that's essentially what you're doing and the only other one i wanted to share with you which is an acquired taste um, as many fermented foods are. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> um, but it was from the time in Japan um, and it was a food called natto. Oh, I've heard of this. Which is a, a soy, <laughs> I believe a soybean. Um, <laughs> it's a tough, to- it's basically tofu of some kind, right? It's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting experience <laughs> and some it, some it is absolutely some people love it rave and it will be a breakfast an everyday thing i'll have a little thing of natto and maybe put some egg and some soy on it as well and and mix it all up together the consistency and the feel is very different yeah. <laughs> so it's acquired <laughs> it's acquired i'll say but um definitely an experience oh there you go there you go so many different flavors yep. of fermentation let's put it that way um that's a great one to go down if you are, yeah. If you if you're a bit of a chemist, you know, you like a bit of sciencey stuff, have a go at that one. Uh, a few others. Uh, we'll we'll go through the rest of these pretty quickly because they're quite self-explanatory or a bit out there. Um, so one, of course, is making jam, mm-hmm. or as the uh, our friends in North America call it, jelly. Um, but making jams and preserves. And so this is much like pickling uses acid. This uses sugar which again Mm. too high of a sugar content um, will stop things from from rotting away like with pickling and fermenting and canning uh, it is though very much about um, sterile using sterile jars and being very very clean because if you know you can introduce things in and if you don't have the sugar content quite right you do again open up yourself to to some other things bad pathogens that are, are no good so uh, but this is a great one if you have a lot of plums, for example, a lot of high sugar content fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of citrus that you want to you wanna keep for a very long time. Done properly, again, this can keep for yeah potentially years mm. if you do it right. So, And just a shout out on this one because you haven't mentioned or pop- popped a little note mm-hmm. here around pectin. Pectin, yes. <laughs> Which is an important component to... Firm up it's and to jelly up. Gets the, it that jelly sort of consistency. Yeah, yeah. And some, uh, w- this is specifically with the apricots, uh, some fruits can be higher in naturally occurring pectin yep. levels um, and may not require 
as much. You can add uh, some or to others. Yeah, correct. So it's just a highlight there because mm. sometimes we do need to add a little bit of pectin. It's something you can buy from the supermarket to assist in that jamming process. I've heard I've heard that before. People saying, "Oh, I tried making jam. I put a bunch of strawberries in, cooked them down, and it just." It's basically a runny sludge, <laughs> strawberry sludge, which mm. is tasty, but it doesn't it doesn't set, you know. Yeah, coolie. <laughs> oh wow, that's a flashback. Um, but yeah, that big, big important thing there, pectin. Um, yeah, some people have also used gelatin in the past, mm-hmm. but I think pectin's really the way to go. Mm. Infusing. Next? So this is um, a bit of a different one. This is a, a an interesting way for me to use herbs in particular, um, but also can be used for. A, other things like chilies is a good one too. Um, but if you have tons of herbs, the good thing about herbs is if you grow herbs, you almost you don't have to preserve them. They're mm. always there. You've always got enough. You've always got too much. Yep. So you can almost be not wasteful, but you can kind of just let them stay out in the garden. You don't have to harvest at a particular time in many cases. If you do, I don't know, maybe your basil is getting to that point where you're like, mm, it's going to start bolting and I want to just use it up infusing into either oil um, or vinegar. So infusing it into oil, again, is going to stop moisture getting into it because yeah, water and oil don't mix. But better would be vinegar where mm. the acidic content uh, stops them from rotting. And by doing it this way, you impart a nice flavor to the vinegar or the oil that you're using. So, yeah. so we're talking garlic oil, for example. Garlic oil or rosemary, rosemary oil. Um, you could do oh, I've seen pomegranate vinegar yep you know lots of different things it doesn't have to be herbs necessarily it can be fruit as well uh, but it's just a nice little way to you know use up that last little bit <clears throat> maybe it's you don't have enough that it's worth going through one of these more difficult techniques or mm-hmm. more involved techniques you just want to use that last little handful and save it in some way chuck it in a thing of white vinegar let it sit for a while and then you use it for salad dressings or what have you. So that's a little one there. Smoking. So this is obviously really good for um, meat and fish and things like that. But mm-hmm. you can also smoke fruits um, through a similar process of essentially very slowly cooking in a way, very slowly cooking or drawing out moisture through the use of smoke, which obviously like a dehydrator in a way, mm-hmm. but it also imparts a flavor. Which I wonder. Some yeah, people I wonder might not how like. dehydrated fruit. It's gotten me curious, and <laughs> as to what dehydrated or oh, sorry, smoked fruit would taste like. Yeah, I've I've had smoked. I think it was plum. No, it wasn't plums. I think it was peaches. Smoked peaches. Smoked peaches. I yeah. can't remember when. I think it was at a restaurant one time. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. But I like smoke. I like that flavor. I like that smoky flavor. So. This is very much going to be dependent on whether you like that or not (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and whether you are willing to go through the process. If you don't already own a smoker for briskets or what have you, maybe maybe not worth your time. But it is doable Mm. and it doesn't work. So that's why we wanted to mention it. Similar to infusing oil and vinegar, um, you could do the same with butter and other fats. Very similar process and you can do it for the same reason. The good thing about this is you can, you know, freeze it in portions. Um, you can, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Mm. <laughs> I don't need to go into to do much more. Um, but nice way to sort of preserve dishes and have that little chef flourish at the end of a little pad of her butter on top of the steak or whatever it is. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> and 
as a little offshoot um, to to dehydration, um, solar dehydration. So we talked about leaving things out in the sun, mm-hmm. but there are also things like solar ovens, which is essentially just a big set of mirrors. Yep. <laughs> sort of focusing the sun down. Another way to do that as well. Um, very environmentally friendly um, if you want to have a slightly more intense dehydration without using electricity. Mm-hmm. So worth noting. Um, and there's a few more. Salt, using salt? salt to preserve things. Again, this is more just to preserve things for a very long time, maybe originally for travel, for the purposes of travel. Um, it, the tricky thing with this is it will impart a very hefty salt flavor to whatever you are salting and that will need to be leached out mm. by soaking this thing in water for a while. So that's worth noting. Uh, pressure canning, very s- similar to canning, just a, a more intense um, way of doing it, specifically for lower acid foods. And it, it's, it's almost like if you do it right, it ensures safety and removes the sort of botulism risk. Mm-hmm. Um, what is botulism exactly? I couldn't tell you, but it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, a type of bacteria, I believe. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Not, not, not super fantastic. With an end like botulism, you know, it's not good. <laughs> no, no. I think it's uh, from memory, the flesh eating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, we don't want that. A um, few other little ones. Vacuum sealing. Mm-hmm. Have do you know anyone who has a vacuum sealer? I'm trying to think of like a water bath sort of style yeah, um, yeah. of of popping things into a water bath and I've seen one in a... In like a, a souvé or whatever. Yeah, just, yep. yeah. And I've seen one in, in a, a restaurant or a bar but I've never never used mm. one myself or never done vacuum sealing. Um, have you? I haven't but it, again, it's a good way. It removes air Makes and sense. therefore moisture um, and often that will be... You will do that as a follow-up to something being dehydrated. Mm. So you're really creating that almost zero moisture environment, but it also helps you to store things tighter because, mm-hmm. you know, they shrink. Um, and a good way to sort of, yeah, that's what keep I, things, keep your freezer not so full. Vacuum sealing. I'm thinking of the space saver bags of clothes underneath the bed from the early 2000s infomercials. <laughs> Just plug your vacuum <laughs> right into it. That's exactly right. Um, I still use those nice. for children's clothes. Um, but yes, your, win- your winter and your summer. That's it. Um, and yeah, it, it's essentially that on a smaller scale. Yep. So definitely um, might be something that you look into. And a few, these aren't methods, but these are good tips. So for something um, I use this for eggs is the rotation method. Mm-hmm. Um, so using a first in, first out or a FIFO as in not fly in, fly out, but first in, first out. Mm-hmm. Um, create a system where it's easy for you without having to think to always use the oldest produce first. Yep. Yep. So for us with our eggs, it's a giant egg carton and my partner Hannah has written oldest and newest mm-hmm. on both ends and we just put them in in that order. And just shuffle it up. And yes, it does mean that sometimes you take out four eggs and you've got to... Yeah, move them all, <laughs> move them all along, you know. No, that makes uh, sense. But it's a good system because we're always eating, you know, uh, the things that are more likely to go off sooner. Mm. Not that eggs last that long in our house, but good practice to have. And you can certainly do this with your root cellar 
or any other method. Um, so what comes along with that to help? Labeling. Labeling, yeah. And I think with any of these methods, label, label, label. We don't want to get to the point where we're opening. We have a can and we don't know what's in it or when it was canned and it ends up being a tin of peaches from the Second World War or something. <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. So making sure we're being really careful when you harvested ideally but more importantly when you preserved, mm. what you preserved, how you preserved it and ideally a rough expiry best by date which you will learn by looking into these different methods. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll learn by experience as well. And you will too. You'll, well, there might be a day that you crack open something that you preserved and <laughs> did not work and you're like, yeah. hey, <laughs> okay, cool. I'll learn that one so, for next yeah. time. <laughs> Cucumbers don't last that long in this method. Yeah, really good information to have. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's a bit. That's a little bit of a quick summary. <laughs> That was, a, that was a deep dive that summary. That was a pretty deep dive, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it was um, good. It was good. Any one of these methods, you could do a full half hour on exactly how to do it, the temperatures, the times, mm -hmm. um, what foods are best, which ones don't really work, for what reasons. So this is one, do your research, but just know there is more out there than, you know, um, just like jarring or jarring something. or yeah, canning, yeah. you know, you got lots and lots of methods. And this is a great one to learn a bit about different cultures. How mm. have different cultures, in particular those cultures that have been around for thousands of years or tens of thousands of years, in the case of this wonderful country, how have they preserved food? Mm. What what are their methods? Um because in many cases they might still use them in mm. a cultural sense. And there's a lot that we can learn. Um because again, fridges have not been around that long. That's correct. In the grand scheme of things. In the great scheme of things, <laughs> they have not. <laughs> um, and people have been eaten well before that. So yeah, interesting little topic. Have a look and see if it's something that might interest you. And it might even be something that is driven by what you have a surplus of. Of course, And yes. you might just be looking down at this big pile of, of cucumbers or zucchinis or fruit and go, okay, what do I, what, yeah. what can I do for this? I can pickle them, I know. Jump onto Google. What how, how do I preserve X, Y, or Z, and mm. um, and just go from so there? If you've got the African horned cucumber, whatever the hell it is, you <laughs> can get, fruit. Yeah, that's the one. I mean, you can dehydrate that apparently. Yeah. Uh, so yep. you know, not everything is has to be done in the way that you see it packaged in the supermarket. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great great way to exit. Cool. What events do we have coming up? Any. I feel like we do. We've got a whole bunch of events coming up at the Downs <laughs> we in the do. next couple of weeks. We'll talk, we'll talk about uh, what will be happening in March, probably in the next show, hmm. um, which will be in March. Um, but uh, Permaculture Week is coming up. Um, I don't have the exact dates here with me, but it's sort of more mid-March. Hmm. Uh, and that will, that will kick off on the Saturday, the 16th of March, I believe. Brendan's furiously looking at his phone. Um, uh, with a, a day at Downs Community Farm. So this is co-hosted with the Mornington Peninsula Permaculture Network. And this will be uh, yeah a tour, a gardening bee, um, a sort of shared lunch, potluck lunch sort of thing. And maybe a few other bits and bobs that we're sort of working through at the moment. So that's 15th to the 24th of March is Permaculture Week. Permaculture Week. Week. Yeah. International Permaculture Week. So the Saturday is, is the 16th, right? Uh, yes, correct. Yes, exactly. Yep. Um, but all throughout that week, there will be events 
put on um, by the Mornington Peninsula Permaculture Network mm-hmm. as well as lots of other permaculture. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So the head organization, Permaculture Victoria and all of the offshoots, the branches, um, we'll be putting on a range of events uh, from workshops, movie nights, um, tours of different community gardens and you know properties and things. So jump on to the uh, well, Mornington Peninsula Permaculture Network uh, Facebook group for more information and we will be putting more information on the Downs Community website in in due course as well. Mm, I think from memory the International uh, Flower and Garden Show is coming up very Way. soon as well. Great. Um, so that's a, obviously a big one, 20th of March to the 24th of March. So the very next week afterwards is... Uh, March is going to be a very busy time in the garden. That's absolutely. And other people's gardens apparently as well. <laughs> All right. So there's a couple of things for you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. That's us. Great Thanks. little show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please yeah. continue to uh, have fun in your gardens. Happy planting. Send us in messages whilst whilst we're away for the next, next two weeks and we'll see you in a fortnight. Yep. Yeah. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Have fun in your gardens and happy planting. Bye.